starting a new series this morning called Waiting, like Wes said. So we're, we're in the Advent season. The Advent season is just the time leading up to Christmas. And so I want to talk with you about what you are waiting for. What you're waiting for this Christmas. It's a festive time of year, right? There seems to be a little difference in the air, and I would say that's with everybody. Whether, whether you're, or not you're a Christian, you're someone who's seeking, maybe you're an atheist and you, you don't like Christmas, pretty much everybody celebrates Christmas at one level or another. It's, it's a pretty fun and, and festive time of the air. Um, there's a, there's a, ton, or a time of the, the season. There's a lot of festivity in the air, a, a lot of, I don't know, it's not magical, but it's just different, right? There's a hope that people have during this season that's different. And there, I think there's an anticipation inside each and every one of us, whether, whether we're Christian or not. There's just something inside of all of us that's like, Christmas is, it's a fun time of year. And so I want to analyze this a little morning. What are we waiting for? What is this anticipation that we're all waiting for, that we're, uh, that we're, that we're looking for here this morning? So I want to ask you a few questions. I'm going to conduct a, a really unscientific poll this morning by show of hands, okay? So, so get ready. I got a lot of questions for you. How many of you would say that in your heart, if you could free up your schedule a little bit, a little bit more, okay? Christmas season is crazy. I personally have two family Christmases to go to today. I have three little kids, three or under. This is going to be a big day. Pray for my family, okay? It's, <laughs> it's fun, but it's crazy, How many of you think during this insanely busy time, how many of you would say, if I could just clear up my calendar, if I could find some more breathing room in my schedule, then I'd be more content? How many of you would say, you know what, I'm too busy. If I could just free up my calendar, yeah, okay, we're busy, right? We're busy. If I could clear that calendar up a little bit, I'd feel at rest, I'd have peace, I've had joy. Okay, that's my first question. That's a decent number of you there. Now, how many of you would say, if I could just have a little bit more coin in the bank, right? Christmas puts a pinch on everybody's budget. Everybody's got their list. They're checking it twice. They're all wanting their gifts. You're trying to get the perfect gift for that special someone. It's, it's stressful. How many of you think during the holiday season, if, if, I could, if I could just have a little bit more money in the bank, then I'd have peace, then I'd be content, then I'd have joy? Nobody? Thank you. Two hands back there. Amen to that, right? Yeah, more money. Now, Flip side, because the Bible presents both, the flip side of this is how many of you think, if I could just get rid of all this stuff, how many parents out there are like, I'm canceling Christmas because I got too many toys in my house the way that it is. We got all this plastic junk laying around. I got to step on it and pick it up. I want to get rid of it. How many say, if I could get rid of all my stuff, I would be more happy. Amen to that, right? This is a pet peeve of mine. What happened with children playing with a stick in a box? Seriously, you go to like Ethiopia, they got like a stick and a ball of string that they put together. and They love it, right? My kids got plastic on plastic on plastic, and they don't play with any of it. How many of you think if I could get rid of all of this stuff, all of this wealth, give me a tiny house and an outhouse, and I will be happy? <laughs> One person, maybe not that extreme, but you know, minimalizing, getting rid of stuff, right? Yeah, some of us live with that. Some of us stuff. It's just, we got too much of it. We got too much of it. Okay. How many of you think if, if Levi would just stop asking me these questions, I will be content. Just bear with me. I've got, I've got too <laughs> joy. Put your hand down, Joy. No one cares. 
I did ask, didn't I? <laughs> All right, this one. How many of you wish your husband would be more romantic? Don't raise your hand, ladies. <laughs> How many of you wish your wife would be more flirty? Dude, put your hand down. Put it down, right? Don't, don't raise your hand for this one. Seriously, though, maybe you're in a relationship. It started off, it was red hot, smoking hot, you know? It's really exciting. It's fresh. It's new. And some of that's kind of faded, and now it's like a tiny spark, or the fire's kind of all but going out. Or maybe you don't have a relationship. Maybe you're single this holiday season, and you think, if I could just find that perfect someone, that Prince Charming, that princess, whatever, if I could just find her, then I would have peace, then I would have joy, then I would be happy, right? Married couples, how many of you think, if I could just spice things up, you know, get a little bit more intimate, more frequently, frequently, Maybe trade in my spouse, that I'd be content, that I'd be happy. Don't raise your hand, right? If that's you, come talk to me and Wes. We, we can help you, right? Jesus can help you. We live with this. How many of us live with, with a broken relationship of some kind that we think, man, if I could just fix this, this relationship, then I would be content, then I'd have peace, then I'd have joy. Last one. How many of you are not where you thought you'd be when you were in high school, right? You were going to be singers and rappers. You were going to be professional athletes, right? You're going to be race car drivers. Now you're in a cubicle or out on a factory floor. What happened? How many of you think, if I could just get back to that fantasy, if I could change my career, get that new job, then I'd be more content, that I'd be more happy, that I have what... I need in life, right? No one's raising their hands, but I'm certain many of you are probably living with that, with that kind of expectancy or that kind of anticipation in your hearts. The problem is that most of us have been discipled more by our culture than by God's word in regards to many of these things. We've been discipled in discontentment, right? We've been told that if we look to the next thing, Whatever that thing is, any one of those categories that we'll find peace, we'll find contentment, we'll find what we've been looking for. But then we get that thing, we, we receive it, and nothing much changes. In the holiday season, Christmas time has a unique way of bringing these things that we're waiting for, these things, these areas that we're discontent, kind of the forefront of our minds. So here's, here's the message that we've been bombarded with since after Halloween, around Thanksgiving, and that we'll continue to be bombarded with. This is what culture is, is telling you, is discipling you. This is what it's saying. Here's what every Christmas sign, every ad- advertisement is subtly communicating to you. Your life stinks. Merry Christmas. Right? Your life stinks, but I, I've, got that. I've got the answer. Don't fear. We're going to fix your problem in this time, in this holiday season. It's Christmas. We know what's wrong with you. We're going to help you find contentment and peace and joy. You're lacking. You know it. I know it. Everybody knows it, but the season's here. It's magical, right? It's magical. Families are going to come together. There's going to be lights and scarves and, and snow, and people are going to eat. It's going to be festive, right? It's going to be frivolity. You're going to have purpose. We're going to give you meaning. We're going to give you hope. You're going to find fulfillment because it's Christmas. You're lacking but don't fear. We know how to fix your issue. And then the advertisements come, right? They come. 
get this gadget, this toy, get this new car, which by the way, who in the world buys a new car for someone for Christmas? I don't know these people. I would like to know that person, right? If you're that person, put me on your Christmas shopping list. <laughs> Real says the car salesman. Well, hey, put me on, on there. Santa, check that list. All right, I'll, I'll take one. I've always thought a better advertisement is like, ain't nobody going to buy you a new car for Christmas. So it's Christmas. You deserve it. Treat yourself. Go get that new car, right? If I, <laughs> treat yourself. Yeah. See? Mad, mad men, they're going to call me. I'm going to do advertising on the side. It's going to be good, right? But that's what culture tells us. Get this new thing. You deserve it. Get this toy. Get this family experience. It's not just, it's not just stuff that's getting pushed. It's the Clark Griswold nostalgic idea. Let's get the family together around the tree. Let's, let's have a meal. It's going to be beautiful. We live with this idea that if we can just get everybody there with the snow and the lights and the tree, and the, it's going to be awesome. Everything's going to be right in the world, right? And so they push this idea, and they push this stuff on us. You're lacking. You're discontent. But praise God, Christmas is here. We know what you need. It's this next thing. It's this new thing. It's this nostalgic idea. But what does God say? That's not what God says. No. 2,000 years ago, church, God made a promise. He made a promise. The great thing about God's promises is you can take them to the bank. They are rock steady. They are firm. You can bet your whole life on it. When God says something, it's as good as done, right? Culture can't say that. Culture's promises are empty and fleeting at best, and at worst, they're fake. They're fake. Not God, not his promises. God's promises are legit. You can stand on them. And so God comes to Abraham way back in Genesis. And he says, Abraham, I love you. And I'm going to go, I'm going to make a family out of you. And out of your family, I'm going to bring someone who is going to bless the whole world. God promises to make Abraham a great nation. He promises and he prophesies that Abraham's people, they're going to suffer. But one day, a savior is going to come. A savior is going to be born to them. He's going to heal every heart. He's going to mend all the broken. God promises that he's going to come. He's going to make a home among us. He's going to live with us. He's going to live with us. He promises and he prophesies that he's going to come as a baby. He's going to come by a virgin. He promises that he's going to heal the sick. He's going to give sight to the blind. God promises that he's going to rescue the whole world and provide, for, provide salvation for everyone who looks to him in faith. God promised, and he prophesied, and some waited. Some waited. They believed for a time, but they said, it's too long, Lord. The suffering's too great, and they gave up on God. And others they scoffed at God's promises. They said, there is no God. If there is, he's not good. We can't trust him. We can't buy what he's selling. And they, they rebelled and they went away. But a few persevered. They persevered in their waiting and they were found ready to receive what God had promised when the appropriate time came. Church, what are you waiting for this Christmas season? Here's what God says you should be waiting for. If you're lacking, you're not going to find contentment in stuff or nostalgic ideas. Don't wait for the things of the world. 
God promised Jesus would come as a baby, and he did. And he promised that one day, that same Christ would return. That, Christian, is what you're waiting for. Jesus came as a meek and mild Messiah, and one day, he's coming back as a claiming and conquering king. Are you ready? Are you ready? Listen to the prophecy and promise of Matthew. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples. In chapter 24, verses 36 through 51, he says this, But about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in those days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and given in marriage. Up to that day, Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding with, with a, a hand mill. One will be taken and the other left. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have left his house be broken into. So you also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom the master has put in charge of the servants in his household to give them their food at the proper time? It will be good for the servant whose master finds him doing when he returns. Truly, I tell you, he will put him in charge of all of his possessions. But suppose that a servant is wicked and says to himself, my master is staying away for a long time. And he then begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with the drunkards. The master of the servant will come on that day when he does not expect him. And in an hour he is not aware of, he will cut him into pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I really wanted to read the entirety of Matthew 24 and Matthew 25, but it's kind of long. And so I didn't, but I would highly recommend that this week during your devotions sometime, take 15, 20 minutes and read through Matthew 24 and 25 all together. I did this week and the Lord kind of kicked me in the pants. And, and we're going to talk about why that is, living in light of the hope that Jesus is coming back. That's what he says right here. If you would read all of Matthew 24 and Matthew 25, you'd discover not only is Jesus coming back, but there will be signs of his return. And Jesus basically tells his disciples, he says, pay attention to the signs. Pay attention to the signs, but don't get dogmatic or try and decipher the precise time of when I'm coming back. Don't get caught up or distracted in trying to figure out when, when it's happening. Jesus says there's going to be signs, but he discouraged his disciples from seeing things like the decline in the church, 
which we see in the world. Or he discouraged them from looking at the, the eroding state of, of things in our world. Or the, the false proclamations that are going all over the place. If you would read in Matthew 20, 24 and 25, he says the gospel's gonna go forth. More and more people are gonna become Christians. That's a sign. But, but none of these things are definitive of the end. Jesus says, I'm coming back. There will be signs, but no one knows the day or the hour. Not even Jesus knows the day or the hour of his return. This means that anyone predicting the end of the earth, like, "Eh, here's the day, they're wrong. And quite honestly, they should shut their mouths because no one knows. And that's not helpful. And Jesus dissuades us from getting too distracted and too caught up with trying to pinpoint the signs, right? He says there will be signs, but, but just, just see them as fact that I'm coming back and rest in the truth that I'm coming back. I don't even know when that day or hour is coming, but I am, I am coming. I am coming, right? So if you read chapters, Matthew, chapters 24 and 25, you discover Jesus is coming back. He says, pay attention to the signs. They're significant, but they're not definitive. So we can't pinpoint it. So he says, there'll be several, um, he, he says, I'm coming back. There's gonna be signs. And he says, he says it several times in different ways. He says, there's gonna be signs of the approaching ends, but don't get caught up in those things, right? No one knows the day or the hour. And along with that, if you'd read Matthew 24 through 25, you discover that his return is not going to be missed. The Jehovah's Witnesses say that Jesus already came back and nobody knew about it. That's not right. And it's not right because Jesus says, when, when I come back, it's gonna be like, like lightning. It is gonna be public. This, this event is the culmination of all of human history. It will rewrite everything. It is going to be the biggest event in all of human history. You're not going to miss it. You're not going to miss it. It will be the most public thing on display. Everybody will know, "Mm, Jesus is back, right? Gulp. Or praise God, Jesus is back. It's it's kind of one of two responses, okay? So Jesus says, I'm coming back. Notice the signs, but don't try and predict things off of them. And don't worry, you're not going to miss it when I come back. Everybody's going to know about it. Everybody's going to know about it. Because, again, he's not coming as a meek and mild savior baby, right? He's coming as a claiming and conquering king. Baby Jesus in a major is awesome. It's precious. It's amazing. God with us. And because Jesus came as a baby, we can live with the hope that he's coming back as the king, right? He's coming back as the king. He's coming back in majesty on a white horse, clothed in splendor and honor. Revelation says that when he comes back, he's coming back with the words written across his breast and on his thigh, king of kings and lord of lords. And from his mouth protrudes the sword of truth, piercing words pouring forth condemnation for those who rebel. And he's gonna claim those who respond to him in faith. When Jesus comes back, he's gonna defeat death and crush Satan. He's gonna slay loneliness forever and depression and sadness, and he's gonna help us. He's gonna give us his peace. For those who've responded in faith, come into my peace. Come into my kingdom. You're mine. I'm gonna claim you. I'm gonna make every heart glad. I'm gonna make you content forever and ever and ever and ever. 
It's going to be awesome. You're not going to miss it. You're not going to miss it, but you want to be on his team when he comes back. That's the promise of Christmas. God with us as a baby so that he might come back as king. So again, I ask you, what are you waiting for this Christmas? There is hope in this season, but it is not in gifts, and it is not in some nostalgic idea of a husband or a wife or a family meal together. It is in the person of Jesus Christ, a relationship with him, a knowledge of his imminent return. And so our text this morning calls us to wait for Jesus' return. And this doesn't mean that you can't give gifts. It doesn't mean that you can't hang stockings or you know, sit by the fire or have a meal with your family. It doesn't mean you can't do any of those things. Actually, you should do all of those things. It's festive. It's fun. It's important. The important thing, though, is that we don't stop with the gifts. The gifts are not our hope. They're meant, to, they're meant to remind us of Jesus and the hope that we have in him. So celebrate the season, absolutely. Celebrate the season, but move beyond the gifts to the gift giver, right? Move beyond the gifts by giving thanks to Jesus for them. If you get a great present, say, thank you, Jesus, for this present. Thanks for parents, thanks for grandparents who would give this Thank you that we can celebrate your birth by exchanging gifts. Thank you for for this time. Thanks for coming. Don't stop at the gift. Enjoy it. In fact, you can't enjoy it unless you move beyond the actual thing to the gift. If you move beyond that to Jesus, to enjoy Christmas, we gotta look past the presents. We gotta look past the promises of culture and we gotta look to the promise of God made possible by Jesus. Jesus came and he's coming again. So, what are you waiting for this Christmas? Jesus says, no one knows the day or the hour of my return, but trust me, I'm coming back. I promise. I prophesied about it. I will return one day like a thief in the night. Be ready. Be watching. Church, when we wait for Jesus' return, we will live differently. We just will. We will. You say, how? How are we supposed to wait? What does waiting look like? Let me ask you this question. What is prophecy and promise all about for God? Why does God give us these promises? Why does he tell us these future events that are going to happen? Prophecy in the Bible is never meant to give us a detailed picture of the future. It's never meant to be the full feature film, okay? Prophecy in scripture and the promises of God, they're like a movie trailer. It's like a movie trailer. They're meant to lift our hearts in expectation. I want to see that. I want to be there at that time, right? Lift our hearts in expectation so that we can make ourselves ready for what is to come. Jesus says, be ready, be watchful, be faithful. And then he gives us the character of Noah as our example. When we are expectant, We are pliable. We're open to God's direction, to his guidance. We're ready for the unexpected, listening for what he might have for us to do next, right? Folks who live without hope, folks who live without eager expectation, they're closed off to God's personal words of guidance, to his direction. Now, we get this. I think think we understand this. Expectant, excited folks, they're ready to do. They're eager. They're tuned in. Think about it like this. 
How easy is it for you to get your kids out of bed on Christmas morning? Right? It's not much work. It's not much work. The anticipation of of presents and candy has awakened in them an eager expectation, a hope. They are tuned in. They are pliable to what you have to say. Yes, mom. Yes, dad. Whatever you say, whatever I got to do to get those presents, right? They're attuned. They're dialed in. Now, contrast that with your teenager trying to get them out of bed to go to school in the morning. There's no hope. There's no expectation. They're like donkeys. Sometimes you wonder, like, do you even hear what, I, what I'm saying? No, because I don't care, because I got no hope, because I don't give a, a darn, you know? <laughs> this is why I stay on my script. <clears throat> Say things, shouldn't. It's true. That's their attitude. That is what people are like who do not live with the hope of Jesus' return. They are not expectant. They're not tuned into God's voice. And so it's not, it's not like, like, yeah, we, we just, okay, we live for the end and hope for the end. No, that expectation dials us into God so that we're ready to listen, right? That's why Jesus goes on and he starts talking about the sheep and the goats. I challenge you to read that and not be convicted. In the end of Matthew 25, I read that and it's like, Lord, and I don't want to be a goat. I don't want to be a goat. What do I have to do to be a sheep? I want to be in your glory. I want to know you. What do I got to do? That creates relationship. I'm not just like twiddling my thumb saying, okay, Jesus, when are you coming back? No, I'm saying, Jesus, I love you. I need to know you. I need to, I need to do whatever you want me to do because you're coming back and you're the king and I know you're the king and I want to live under your lordship today. Church, when you live like that with that expectation, not only are you a sheep, Jesus says, the sheep know my voice. You hear God's voice in relationship. He guides and directs you. You're like a child on Christmas morning who cannot wait to listen to their parents. Whatever I gotta do to be a part of this Christmas celebration, I'm in, I'm in. And it's, it's not so much about the doing, folks. It's about the relationship that happens along the way, right? You're attentive, you're dialed in. It's beautiful. It's exciting. It's joyous. It's joyous. And that's why Jesus says, think of Noah. Think of Noah, right? If you go back in Genesis and you read, it says, God, Noah found favor with God. Before Noah does anything, God looks upon him. He's a sinner like you and me. He's wretched. He doesn't have his stuff all together. But God looks on him and he says, I love you and I'm going to pour my favor on you, not because you deserve it, but because I'm gracious. And then 10 times it says, God said to Noah, and Noah did all that the Lord commanded. God said to Noah, and Noah did all that the Lord commanded. God said to Noah, and Noah did all that the Lord commanded. Noah had hope. He lived with faith in eager expectation of the promises of God. Noah, there's a flood coming. I love you. I don't want you to be in that flood. Would you build an ark? Build a boat? Okay, God, I believe you. I will. God, this doesn't make a whole lot of sense. No one even knows what a boat is. We've never seen this kind of flood. Well, it's okay, Noah. 
there's a flood coming. Build an ark and gather the animals. Okay, God, I will. I trust you. He, he lived like a child on Christmas morning, responsive, responsive to his father because he had the hope in the promises of God. Jesus says, live like Noah. Live like Noah. Wait for Jesus' return. Not twiddling your thumbs, but in relationship. In relationship. Talk to me. Let me guide your every moment. I am coming back, and I want you to be ready. Here's how. Today, in this moment, here's what I need for you. Okay, Lord, I'm in. I'm in because you're king, and I know you're coming back, and I love you. Whatever you say, I'm in. I'm living by faith. I trust your promises, right? This is the story of every Christian. In Jesus, you have found favor with God, just like Noah, just like Mary. He looks upon the wretched state of our souls and he says, yep, I want you. I want you. And Jesus comes and he puts flesh on and he goes to the cross and God speaks. He calls to every man, every woman, every child and he says, I want you to know me. I want you to come and dwell in my family. I want you to know me because I am. I am. Am. I am the best thing that could ever happen to you. I am the yin to your yang. I'm, I'm, your, I'm what your heart is searching for. And God graciously invites us into him to share in his glory, to receive his joy, to live in relationship with him, to live in that eager expectation like a child on Christmas morning, anticipating the future when God will heal every wrong and right every injustice and wipe away every tear. And he says, if you'll respond to me in faith, then if you respond to me in faith, I will wipe everything away. I will bring you into my presence and you will experience joy forevermore. Just like Noah, you will have salvation now and into the future. Noah believes the promises of God. He has faith and he follows God's voice through life. Be ready, be waiting, be found doing faithfully with for and by Jesus because church, he's coming back. He's coming back. Living in light of Jesus' return, waiting for Jesus' return will compel you to speak with Jesus regularly about what he wants you to do because you know he's coming back and you love him and you want to be with him when he does. We don't serve Jesus out of fear. We don't show compassion to the poor and the hurting and the struggling out of guilt. We love Jesus because we love Jesus and we cannot wait for him to come back. This eager expectation makes us like little children in the hands of God waiting for Christmas morning. We wait to hear his voice and joyously follow him wherever he asks us to go. And in that process, he gives us joy and he invites us into his glory. So, what are you waiting for this Christmas? Partake in all the, all the festivities. Hang the stockings by the fire with care. Linger on the mistletoe a little longer, right? Hang the stockings up. Exchange presents. Set by the fire. Sing some carols. 
Just don't get swept up into thinking that joy and hope and contentment can found in anyone or anything other than Jesus. He came as a meek and mild baby, but he's coming again as a claiming and conquering king. Wait for his return. Be ready. Be watchful. Be found faithful. Wait eagerly. It's the only thing worth waiting for this Christmas. I'm going to invite the band up. I'm actually called an audible this morning. We're going to finish by singing that song, Who You Say I Am. In there, there's a phrase that says, you, uh, in my father's house, there's a room for me. That's true. You might not have a home you love today. You might be poor. You might not have family members that you get along with. Jesus is coming back. He's going to fix all of that. He says you are his child. You are part of his family. And one day, you will live in his house. That's true. And that's what we're waiting for this Christmas. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for coming to us. Thank you for being worth the wait, Lord. There's a lot of good things in this world. The gifts, the presents, the lights of Christmas. This is an awesome season. But Father, we don't rest in those things or find our enjoyment in those things. We say thank you to you as the giver of every good gift. Anything that we have that's worth having in this life is a result of your grace to us. And so Lord, help us never, get, help us never stop short of you as the gift giver. Help us, help us thank you this Christmas. And Lord, help us wait well. Make us eager for your return. Like, Christmas, or like children on Christmas morning, compelling us in attentiveness to your voice. We want to know you, Lord. We want to love you. We want to live in light of those promises, and we need your help to do so. Help us cling to the truth that you've called us child, that in your house there's a room for us, that you are for us. You are not against us because of what Christ did for us on the cross. We love you. It's for your glory that we pray. Amen.